so excited and they're swimming right at the boat and uh, and we had the hydrophone was hooked up to a, a laptop computer so we can see when they're echolocating and there was just nothing it was just silent <laughs> and I'm like, hi my name is Jen Wladichuk uh, I'm a marine biologist and an acoustician I work uh, at JASCO Applied Sciences, uh, a local Victoria acoustics company, and uh, also just recently finished my postdoc at UVic uh, in collaboration with DFO. Welcome back to Below the Tide. My name is Liz and I am your host. I hope you are having a great Thursday. This episode is going to be really fun. It's the third episode with Jen, so if you haven't listened to episodes 10 and 11, I would definitely recommend going back and listening to those. It'll help set you up for this episode about southern resident killer whales and their echolocation, underwater acoustics, all of that. As with all of my episodes, I do post resources on my Instagram page, so that's things like diagrams, written out definitions, pictures, videos, things that I think might help if you're a visual learner or if you'd like to go back and see a definition for something. My Instagram page is at Below the Tide Podcast. Give it a follow. You can kind of follow along with all of the episodes that come out, pictures, videos, updates. Other than that, grab a coffee and enjoy this episode. When you're out doing field work, are you, you're not living out on a, on a boat, you're kind of coming back, it's just daytime trips? Yeah, so for the postdoc work on the Southern Resident Killer Whales, that was just um, day trips, we yeah. were out on a Zodiac. Um, but other work like with JASCO, those would be longer term. We also do just day trips. Mm-hmm. Um, number of years ago we would um, you would be out for you know three weeks at a time wouldn't be unreasonable it depends where we're doing the work yeah um, how remote it is and the type of work that we're doing but um, yeah for the post-op work that was just day trips out mm-hmm. yeah. and when you were in Bath what was that research like what was the field work lo- looking like for that yeah so that was up on the the central coast here studying mm-hmm. gray whales um, <laughs> Yeah, lots of stories there. We uh, first we were in tents the first summer. Uh, we were living out of tents, and then we built cabins up on this island. So, uh, yeah, we lived in these plywood cabins, which I think are <laughs> apparently still standing today, which is amazing. But yeah, we were on this super remote, uninhabited island. Uh, no electricity, no running water. We cooked. All our food on propane stoves and living out of coolers there's of course no fridge um, and those would be so the gray well survey would take so it was about a 40 kilometer stretch of coast so we we would do you know one one way in a day mm-hmm. and then stay at the other end and then come back so we would stay at like a fishing lodge in rivers inlet when we got to the other end and come back so those surveys would be typically an overnight trip. Oh yeah. Um, I also like started my PhD uh, research up there, and that was based. We uh, used kayaks and um, we're kind of doing sound maps of the bay, and uh, we would just stay in camp for that and just go out for the day. Mm-hmm. Normally, the the morning when it got too windy in the afternoon, we would 
kind of pack it up and, and do analysis in right. the afternoon. Yeah. And how do you do mapping on a kayak? <laughs> yeah, so that was a learning experience. I had, like, that was my introduction to acoustics. Mm-hmm. I'd never put down a hydrophone before. Um, so I, I knew the whale, so there was two bays that we were mapping because I knew that they the whales fed in both the bays, but they were very different physically. One was like a sheltered bay, rocky, lots of kelp beds. And the other was this big, long, uh, exposed, sandy bay with one kelp bed in the middle. Um, so I just wanted to know like what, where are the sound sources in the bay? Where is it quiet? What are the differences? Um, you know, say looking at frequencies, what's the difference in sound quality of these two bays? So um, yeah, kayaks ended up being a really good uh, platform because they roll with the, the waves. They don't, they're not big enough that they're stationary and the mm-hmm. waves are hitting the side of the hull and that's the main sound source. So we used kayaks to paddle around and every so often just stop, lower the hydrophone, mm-hmm. record for about a minute or two and, uh, and paddle on and do another recording. And then y- you basically just, um, kind of um well one was like the sound levels so i you know you can get the sound level at each recording and kind of um it's not triangulate it's not the right word but uh interpolate the sound between oh, okay. the points um to make like a continuous like sound level map mm-hmm. basically so that kind of showed where where the noise sources are and that would be like a kelp bed it turns out that all the critters in a kelp bed are making some sort of noise so um that would be kind of a source uh of course waves on the shore would be uh, another source of noise um and then we can compare those between the two bays so how does a rocky surf noise compare with like sandy surf noise okay very different um just all the sand particles um getting tossed about in the in the surf noise um that very different from the rocky and it propagates much further so rocky shore uh waves crashing on you actually have to be quite close to hear it Mm -hmm. whereas sandy um surf propagates much further um so yeah we looked at kelp beds gray whales are known to feed in kelp beds Mm -hmm. along the coast there so i was interested in yeah what what sounds are in kelp beds could they be picking up to um find their food and also so kelp make noise but they also cancel noise um (laughs) which is a bit counterintuitive but um because they're gas filled the density between water and air reflects sound so for that bay that the big long sandy bay and you have all that surf noise you can hear that out in the bay but as you swim or (laughs) kayak past the kelp, it actually um, is is more quiet, and that's because the kelp is reflecting the sound back. Oh. So as a whale swimming by, you could be like, oh, like there's some some sort of feature over there. I'm going to go check it out. Um, so that was kind of a cool discovery. Yeah. But yeah. And what did you find in terms of the difference between the two bays? It was something, would you say, more preferable for a whale? Or what was your mm-hmm. kind of conclusion when it came to... Well, I think that like the kelp bed so in in one respect like in the sheltered bay it was actually a noise source whereas in the other bay it was actually like like a noise sink they mm-hmm. call it like it's creating this acoustic shadow so 
the way that the animal is finding its food is, is like in two different ways in the two ways. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they kind of have to adapt and figure it out themselves. Yeah, or just like, okay, I'm hearing, well, for example, like a, there's lots of snapping that happens near a kelp bed. Um, so just being able to pick up on like snapping noise in a, in a sheltered bay like that where you don't have a lot of surf noise, that snapping is probably going to be the, the dominant source. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the, the sandy bay where you have all that surf noise, um, you're, you're looking for shadows, I guess, um, that are the features that the food is going to be around. Right. Yeah. And the gray whales, you said that they don't really echolocate? No, they... Not the classic high-frequency clicks, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's possible. You know, like blind people, for example use some sort of like they they can click but also using like a cane the tapping Mm -hmm. and just listening for echoes so any and we could do it now like are the echoes off the wall in here we know we're inside versus outside right so echolocation you know we look at it in kind of a particular way but it actually could be any sound that's creating an echo so if a gray whale and they do vocalize a little bit, not a mm-hmm. lot, but if they're producing some sounds that are reflecting off anything, um, they'll probably be able to pick up on that reflection and know, okay, well, there's a rock wall over there. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's possible. It's hard to, that'd be another research project. <laughs> <laughs> Someone should do it. <laughs> but um, I, think it, I think it's possible that they're using like, a, you know, a low frequency Right. I wouldn't know if I'd call it echolocation. It's possible. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, active acoustics. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And typically, how would a gray whale find its food? Um, so that probably just by listening. So okay, those, yeah. those sound differences. Um, yeah. In, in kelp beds. But also, mm-hmm. yeah, there's probably other ways. I don't... Um, they're also known to feed in... Uh, just sandy bottom area so up in Alaska Mm -hmm. for example they kind of scoop they swim down to the bottom and scoop up um, mud essentially the bottom and yeah sift uh, whatever critters are in the the bottom so that I don't know how they find (laughs) their food there that they might just be you know they could be swimming around a bit aimlessly in that area. If it's a nice, sandy, muddy bottom, they'll just go to town and scoop up whatever they can yeah. and find food. But uh, along the central coast where it's more rocky and they're feeding on uh, mycid shrimp, which form these large swarms near kelp beds and rocks. Um, yeah, kelp beds have that kind of acoustic yeah. cue with them. Yeah. Oh, wow. And... In terms of like kelp beds and your research, did you end up having to learn a lot about kelp itself? Um, I learned you know, about I couldn't list off the the gases in no. the kelp, but <laughs> I did learn that yeah, it's a mixture of of gas inside the kelp. I always knew that they were air filled, but I yeah. didn't know what. Um, I tried to map them, so I learned that kelp moves a lot, which. Uh, you know, it was quite obvious because their stipes are really long. Right. Um, so we were trying to map them to figure out, like, we could overlay the kelp with the sound map. Mm-hmm. And it really depends on what the tide is doing and the current is doing when you map them because you map them and then we go out and 
do it at a different tide cycle and they would be in a completely different place. So <laughs> learned that about kelp. <laughs> but, um, and they're great for hanging on to. So when we were trying to do a recording, we didn't want to be drifting too much because we wanted to be in a right. particular spot. So we would hang on to kelp a lot of the time as like an anchor. Oh, wow. So that was handy. <laughs> <laughs> and like a hydrophone. Maybe I'm picturing like this huge thing, but if you're kayaking with it, like how large is a hydrophone? Yeah, so we had really low-tech equipment okay. <laughs> as a student. Um, what we use now at JASCO is much larger and expensive, but mm -hmm. for the PhD work in the kayak was really small. I actually made the first set of hydrophones with the technicians there. We used old like film canisters, which are probably really hard to come across <laughs> these days, but um, we used, yeah, we bought these um, piezoelectric um, elements that, and then put that and then silicone in a film canister. Mm -hmm. And that was a really low tech uh, hydrophone, which worked, yeah. but it was pretty low frequency. I can't remember what the max was, but we, we decided to buy a couple cheap hydrophones. But no, hydrophones are super small. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, not really much different than a a microphone they can oh, okay. be quite large depends yeah on the make and what frequencies you're interested in but um for gray whales their hearing range is really similar to uh well it's estimated to be similar to to humans it, um there haven't been any what's called an audiogram so that's the um sensitivity of their hearing mm -hmm. hasn't really been done because we don't have any in aquarium so oh, okay but it's estimated that most animals produce vocalizations within their hearing range right. so it would make sense yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah gray whales actually have supposedly very similar hearing range to humans so like 20 okay. hertz to 20 kilohertz so the hydrophones that we needed were um, cheaper because it's lower frequency 20 mm -hmm. kilohertz isn't very high but if you you know studying killer whales you you need a different kind of hydrophone that can pick up those higher frequencies and tend to be more expensive but yeah they're generally pretty small you know fit in your hand for sure mm -hmm. um, the recorder I was using was just a pretty cheap um, you can buy them online mm -hmm. uh, again is just a portable fits in your hand sort of thing totally. the only thing it wasn't waterproof so I just had to be careful with that in a kayak <laughs> but um, yeah pretty pretty small equipment we also made um we wanted to get some overnight recording so again just very low tech um being in the engineering department i had some friends that could help make some watertight um recorders that we essentially put down right. overnight and tried to i wanted to look at if there was any um diurnal cycles like patterns in the the soundscape like was it noisier during the day versus night mm -hmm. dawn dusk that sort of thing so but all pretty low tech and small equipment yeah, yeah. <laughs> i guess in my mind i'm thinking like if it's recording whale sounds and whales are so humongous yeah. it has to be a big thing but it's just recording the no. sound yeah basically. wow yeah yeah and you would use the same kind of a hydrophone to measure how much noise a boat is making underwater yeah Again, like it's it frequencies and also sound levels right. are, are the two things you want to look at. Mm -hmm. But generally, uh, it would be the same, uh, same sort of equipment. Um, 
But if something is extremely loud, say like pile driving, for example, um, which we, we monitor those sound levels because they're so loud, you mm-hmm. need to make sure that um, they don't reach a certain level. You'd want to, but it's, it's basically the same size mm-hmm. equipment. It's just, it'll have a different uh, kind of element inside of it. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. And what kind of crazy things have you seen? You know, <laughs> what are your crazy fun stories that you tell people at a party? <laughs> it's usually how I, I ask the question. If you're at a party and you tell yeah. people you're a marine biologist, what's your fun story? Well, I have a, yeah, I've been thinking about this. There's a couple. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky enough to go down to Mexico and study the gray whales migrate down to Mexico mm-hmm. to, to breed and have calves. And uh, so I went down there for a couple months to help out with other studies. And we were doing a survey and the whales, so the gray whales down there are, are super friendly. They're there to have a good time. <laughs> As opposed to when they're up here, they're 100% focused on finding food and don't care about boats or people. Mm-hmm. Um, but down there, they're quite friendly and they will actually swim up to the boat and, and want a little pet or a scratch. So we were doing a survey and a whale was coming over to us. We're like, okay, well, give it a little pet. And uh, then it, it, it was kind of like nudging our boat a little bit. And then it kind of just got more and more we're like our boat was literally rocking. And so we put all our equipment away. We're like, we, in case we actually flip over, like this is possible. Put all our equipment away, pulled up the engine um, so it didn't hurt itself on it. And this whale like just pushed our boat down the lagoon and we just didn't know what to do. <laughs> we just hadn't happened before um, to that extent. And... Yeah, we were just, uh, didn't know what to do. There's another researcher that was on shore and watched the whole thing happen. And he was like, I was wondering what you guys were going to do. Um, so that was, and then another boat came uh, up. They're looking for a, you know, friendly whale. And uh, the whale went over and swam over to them. And uh, yeah, we got out of there and continued on our <laughs> way. But at first we were really excited. We're like, yeah, little friendly whales, you know. And then it just... Yeah, I kind of got a little bit more and more. We got more worried. But uh, yeah, that's something I won't forget. And um, let's see, there oh, there was this magical day up just outside of Port Hardy that uh, we could see this massive, like the water was just bubbling. Like it was, it was a super calm mm-hmm. day, sunny day. But you could see there was something in the water off in the distance and it was just all this like water movement then it was coming towards us and they realized it was just like hundreds of pacific white-sided dolphins that were swimming along and they came like right over to us and they must have been feeding like um they were just all around our boat we actually just turned off our engine and sat there and the whale, uh, the dolphins were swimming all around us. And then a humpback whale joined them. And so we had this humpback whale <laughs> swimming around. I'll never forget. That was just amazing. I It went on for quite a while. We just turned the engine off, sat in the sun, and watched these animals just swim wow. around us. It was really incredible. Um, I feel like if you're studying whales, you get those magical moments yep. more often than some people might. And it's... It's good to kind of remind yourself because like as a scientist, you're out there, you're trying to collect data, but like down in Mexico, like we can't do a survey. You just, okay, let's just enjoy this moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Turn turn everything off. Enjoy the moment. 
Um, same with the humpback. We just, you know, turn off the engine, watch, watch the whales, dolphins. Yeah. Um, there was another. So last one was um, with killer whales. And so out on Swifter Bank with the Zodiac, hydrophones are down. The whales are coming. There's like a line of six of them or something like that swimming right towards us. It's like perfect conditions for collecting data. So excited. And they're swimming right at the boat. And, uh, and we had the hydrophone was hooked up to a, a laptop computer so we could see when they're echolocating. And there was just nothing. It was just silent. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, but it's perfect. But it was amazing. Like, they swam within feet of us and then went right under this little Zodiac boat. Um, so that was incredible. We didn't get any data, <laughs> but it was an amazing experience to see them so close. And I think they were sleeping. Um, they, they tend to, I think, line up like that when they're sleeping. Yeah. And then they, they weren't echolocating. They weren't making any sounds. And they're um, swimming as they're yeah, sleeping? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Is they kind normal? of like half, yeah, they kind of half tune out. Humpbacks more kind of just bob at the surface, but, um, and killer whales might as well. But in this case, they were kind of, they were swimming along. So you'd think that they're awake. But yeah, they, they like half turn off their brain because they still need to come to the surface to breathe. Right. So they're kind of, yeah, Whoa. half awake, half asleep. But yeah, you wouldn't have known it just looking at them. They right. seem like they're awake, but... Um, and they're just swimming. Yeah. But when you're trying to collect data, and they're just... And somehow they knew the boat was there, right? So they, they didn't hit the boat. They swam under the boat, but... Yeah. Uh, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> We're still scratching the surface on what we know about them. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how large is a killer whale in comparison to the boat that you're working on? Yeah, so killer whales are about like 25, like the adults are like 25 to 30 feet. We were in, I can't remember the size of the boat, but it was, a, I say about 18 feet, like it was definitely smaller yeah. than the whale. And this is one of the smaller whales that we have around here. So um, yeah, there are also lots of humpbacks out on Swifter Bank mm -hmm. and they, those like to jump a lot. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't want to be close to them when they're they're breaching yeah but <laughs> yeah pretty small pretty small boat in comparison mm -hmm. to the whales yeah um research is all about learn as you go yeah. i think <laughs> especially field work um so you know with the the postdoc work that was only two summers of being out there mm -hmm. and it was something i had never done before it was a new species to me right somewhat new equipment so I learned a lot. I don't know about setbacks per se, but just there was a lot of things I, I would probably change and make better if I mm -hmm. did it again. But um, yeah, we did what we could with the yeah. two years <laughs> that we had with the equipment we had, the boat we had, yeah, the weather we had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, also like electronics. So this is one aspect of mm -hmm. like doing acoustic work uh, you're gonna have technical equipment um, electronic equipment and saltwater don't go well together that was one really frustrating part being out there you know you have you actually found the whales you have the whales equipment's in the water but it's not working <laughs> because of some sort of corrosion or salt has gotten in there you know mm -hmm. after spending two months three months trying to collect data um, yeah things are yeah. gonna start not working anymore um, but yeah, you just, 
you, you learn and you fix it and you keep going, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything that you learned in terms of the science that you hadn't really kind of seen before while you were doing kind of your master's, PhD, postdoc? Well, for the PhD, everything for me was new. Yeah. Because um, I'd never put down a hydrophone before. So that was a learning curve. Mm -hmm. Just opening up, in general, opening up the acoustic world to me. Um, knowing that, you know, I, I like to do this. I was reading about, um, you know, blind people and research on how they use sound mm -hmm. and really got me interested because you you know, I could do it on myself. So like when I was walking home from university, I would close my eyes and listen to what sounds are around me. Um, how do things that I'm doing, like my footsteps change as, you know, I'm in a different area. Um, closing my eyes and just listening to the environment around me and what sounds are available to us that we don't use. Like we're very visual animals, but there's so much information in the acoustic realm that we don't normally tap into but um it's really interesting we get a lot of information from it so it's opened my say eyes but ears to that um that aspect of mm -hmm. our environment just um in air let alone underwater and for yeah postdoc just learning everything about <laughs> being out there with the killer whales you know i'd never spent a lot of time with them they are really intellectual animals uh, we were out with dfo they were doing their connecting their own uh, work they were trying to put the suction cup tags on the whales to get their movements underwater in addition to acoustics as well and i'll never forget one of the researchers said like they use this super long pole uh, with that, that suction cup tag mm -hmm. is at the end of it and they were trying to put it on one of the whales and the whales knew which individual they were trying to put the suction cup tag on and they were making sure that that whale was just far enough away from the length of the pole <laughs> that uh, they, the, they could, the researchers couldn't put the tag on. And I'm like, that is incredible that these animals understand what's going on and can like fool the researchers basically. So um, yeah, their intelligence I think is something that we don't probably fully understand yet. Yeah. Um, and just from being out there and trying to conduct these other studies on them, you realize like, wow, there's a lot going on with them. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Liz and I'm really happy that you're here. I will see you next Thursday for a new episode with a new scientist with a new topic. So it's going to be a lot of fun. See you next Thursday.